Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals, and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Sheena, we're going to start off this episode with a gut check. So I'm curious, as of right now, Monday the 20th, how many weeks have we been working from home? I think it's been five weeks. Ah, so that is a good guess. And the, the unfortunate truth is we are now starting week seven oh God. of working from home. <laughs> and I had the same thought, which uh, listeners, you will hear in our data breakout today. I do a fact check of myself, so I didn't just put Sheena on the spot. But I asked myself the same thing. I was doing an interview last week. I was the interviewee. And someone said, hey, how long have you been working from home? And I th- said, oh, it's only been about four or five weeks. Uh, and it had been six at that time. I was surprised at you know how much the weeks really have been blurring. And so if you're hearing this and feeling the same way, hopefully this is validating to you. You are not alone. I thought I was doing a really good job of keeping track of how many weeks it's been, but clearly I was not. <laughs> it's beyond uh, that point now. <laughs> on a more positive note, we had an awesome conversation with Jane Kim, who is the CRO over at Circle CI. Yeah, we had a really great conversation with her particularly related to a lot of her perspectives around the stereotypes and sales Mm -hmm. and what is she doing with her team to help overcome some of those and build more of a culture of inclusivity on the sales side of things. You know, in our interviews, usually around halfway through, you kind of get some, uh, some honest, vulnerable moments. And she had a really nice story of how, you know, she dealt with some of the stereotypes and handling bro culture. And it was really nice to hear that coming from her. And so, Before we dive in to all of our listeners, this is our first 100% remote conversation that we've had. All the uh, future interviews are completely remote. So if the audio quality is down a little bit, bear with us. You might hear some of uh, Sheena's mini gongsters in the background. Those are her kids. You might hear my bulldog in the background, maybe my wife on her calls. So we thank you for your patience in case some of the audio quality is a little lower than it usually is. With that, let's go ahead and jump into our conversation with Jane. Jane, thanks so much for making some time out of your busy work from home schedule. We're grateful to have you here. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. Um, It's definitely a different world that we're in now, but adjusting to work from home has been a challenge, but it's been good. Good. And and our first question is going to touch right on that. We are spending more time at home, which means folks are probably binging shows or books. Do you have a book or a show that you can recommend or that you're into right now? Well, actually, um, I'm actually part of a book club, uh, and it's called Whiskey Lit. And the premise of our book club is actually that we pair books with whiskey. Uh, It's pretty great. We've been doing it for years, um, and it's definitely fun and a little creative to try to figure out how you pair a book um, and its contents with whiskey, Um, but uh, but it's been good. And actually, we just picked Love in the Time of Cholera uh, by Gabrielle Garcia Marquez, which actually feels pretty appropriate these days 
with all that's happening with the coronavirus pandemic. It's an oldie, I haven't read it in like 20 years, but we decided to just offer this time around. Okay, I had a second question that had nothing to do with that, but now I need to double down uh, and figure out how do you match a book with whiskey? What even goes into that process? Like I said, you've got to be a little creative. Sometimes there's something in the book, like uh, we read The Milkman, which is a book about Ireland. And so um, trying to think about whiskeys that may come from that region or you know, alcohols from that region, you try to just distill what you think the mood or the tone of the book is, and you try to match that with you know, the, the notes associated with that whiskey. Actually, we're on, we're on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at Whiskey Lit if you're so interested. I, I love that. I have to imagine some listeners are probably reading books. Some are probably getting uh, deeper into whiskey, uh, but I doubt everyone is matching those too. So hopefully uh, any listeners now have a uh, at home to do that they can do or ask their friends to start a uh, equally cool book club. For sure. So Jane, can you tell us a little bit more about your current role at Circle CI? Um, you're the chief revenue officer there, but would love to hear a little bit more about what that entails. Uh, yeah, and for those who aren't familiar with Circle CI, uh, we are a continuous integration delivery platform for software development teams uh, who are really focused on building a DevOps practice. So we automate the build, test, deploy, so that development teams can focus on shipping quality code faster and with greater confidence. Um, and as CRO, uh, Chief Revenue Officer at Circle CI, I'm ultimately responsible for the revenue that we generate. We have an interesting hybrid combination of our model of a freemium self-serve model. You can use our product for free or swipe a credit card uh, to, to start using uh, a paid plan. And we, we combine that with a more traditional sales model. And as CRO, I lead our global sales and customer success teams. Uh, we have teams now um, across every region. Um, but fundamentally, I see my role as enabling and empowering my teams to be successful. I love that. I, I'm also really curious. So your career, you you didn't start in sales. Like I think a lot of folks just grow up in sales from from start until where they are today. Uh, but you actually started in in investment banking before you moved into sales. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that decision making process and how did you move from banking and finance into tech sales? Oh, yeah. Uh, my career has definitely taken uh, a few twists and turns. And um, I'll start by saying sort of the type of person that I am. So, you know, I've always been a planner. And so when I thought about, you know, way back when I was in college and, and thinking about what my career could be, you know, I was building out sort of these five, 10, 20 year long range uh, plans um, and a clear map for how my career was really going to shape up. And of course, it was very linear with regular career steps that would take me up a very, very specific type of path. But of course, life gets in the way. And one of the things I've learned is that you don't really know what your career will be until you really get into it. And you really have to give yourself room to um, have things change, to have your dreams and your ambitions change as you learn more about what you really want in your career and your life. But having said that, switching from finance to tech was definitely one of the toughest and scariest decisions I've ever made. Um, you're right, Sheena, that sales is typically a career that you really start at the bottom, right? Even in our organization, a lot of our SDRs um, start almost directly out of school, and then you move up sort of through, through the ranks. But I started as an analyst, and uh, from there I moved into an investment role, which was actually basically a sales role. I was responsible for sourcing and building my own pipeline as well as closing deals. But, you know, to be in sales means that you really need to believe in your solution, right? That what you're offering to your customers can really solve uh, the most important problems that they face. By the way, this was the days of kind of before, 
you know, during and after the major recession of 2008 and the housing crisis. And so um, I got to see firsthand sort of how these financial instruments were really contributing to that crisis and so started to lose that faith. And so all of a sudden I was faced with, well, this very well-defined career path I thought I was on was likely not going to be the best option for me. So actually I first uh, moved into tech um, it was actually not in a sales role. It was actually in a business operations role, um, sort of a hybrid sort of chief of staff strategy type of function, working for the CEO of Success Factors, uh, who was Lars Dahlgaard at the time. And that was really a, um, a real learning opportunity. You know, when I first took the role, I had no idea. I'd just blown up my entire career um, and blown up these like long held beliefs I had about, you know, what a career path really looked like. But you know, in taking this detour into operations, I had the opportunity to see the entire business from our CEO's perspective and really understanding how different functions work together um, to not just build an awesome product, but really create a meaningful uh, customer experience. And so um, it was just a great opportunity to really learn that really helped me think about what a career path should be, what motivates myself on it. So no surprise, actually, I went, actually ended up going back into sales. Um, but to this day, I really appreciate the fact that I had the opportunity to experience a different path. You know, since then I really have learned, and actually I talk about this a lot with the people that I mentor, your career does have a lot of twists and turns. And rather than thinking about what my path is and what's supposed to look like, you know, I really think about what does my current role allow me to learn about, you know, my customers, about myself, about what I can accomplish. And when I think about future roles, I think about how they can really set me up for future learning opportunities. Jane, were there any obstacles that you specifically had to overcome as you have been on this career path, this journey? So many. Um, I think starting a new role is, um, is always scary. So actually, you hear all these great things during the interview process, but is the team or the product really as good as they say that they are? Um, and then, of course, there's the ultimate, you know, will they even like me um, whenever you enter um, a new team? And so, um, you know, I've come into organizations at various different levels um, and at various different stages of their growth and their journey, which has actually been great uh, to get those different uh, types of experiences. Um, but the, the biggest obstacle really in some of those is um, just being honest with yourself about um, you know, what it is that you don't know, what is it that you still need to learn and be really open about that. Um, you know, especially if you're coming into an organization um, at a more of a senior level, there are a lot of expectations about, you know, your ability to take charge, to lead that team. Um, and I have definitely made mistakes in, you know, making assumptions or um, coming in with a predefined set of, of um, playbooks or things that I know have worked in the past and sort of barreling down uh, the wrong direction without really understanding what it is that, you know, we're really trying to accomplish. And so, and that's really hard. It's hard for me as a leader. I'm a very action-oriented person. Um, so to be able to come into any situation and be able to say the first thing that, you know, I'm here and I don't know um, is um, a very vulnerable place to be. It's really important though to listen and to learn, to absorb all the right context. Um, you know, rather than just blindly barreling down that path. Along the same lines, Jane, I mean, for the folks that are maybe want to become leaders or folks that are listening that are leaders and want to take it to the next level, what were some of those core strengths for you that you could say, hey, you know, if you pointed to maybe like, I don't know, one, two, maybe three, 
uh, of those core strengths that help you become such a great leader, uh, what would you say those are? Uh, I think for me, um, well, one, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty action oriented. You know, I can be decisive when I need to be. Sometimes I think about what is it my job is really to do, right? Because I don't, I don't own any accounts. I don't close any deals, but my job fundamentally is to make decisions. And that can be really hard when you don't have perfect information. You know, as much as I want to be able to make great data-driven decisions, sometimes you have to when the data isn't clear um, or not really well available. So ability to make decisions, I think, is really one. Um, the other is, you know, I am a big believer in empowerment and what the team can provide, right? Like, as I've gotten more senior or my organizations have grown, the one thing that has not changed is me. Like, I'm still one human. I still only have 24 hours a day. I only still have seven days a week. But figuring out the points of leverage and how I can empower my teams to be sometimes the eyes and ears um, that I can't be is really important. So not just focusing on myself, but focusing on my team, I think is another big one. And then I'd say lastly is, is really the ability to, to listen. Um, one question I always tell myself is, you don't know what you don't know. And while sometimes the easy thing to do is just make assumptions, right? Like, um, is just somebody is asking you for something and you want to be able to help them. You want to be able to give them those answers, but being able to be sort of humble and um, honest with yourself about the things that you don't know can sometimes be um, even more important. So being sort of open, you know, being compassionate um, and being empathetic can really help you on your ability to listen. How do you foster strong relationships with your team? And maybe how has that changed now, you know, with COVID and, and being remote? I imagine that's changed a little bit. Yes, absolutely. I think one thing I really care about is empowerment. You know, one thing that I look for in hiring is sort of that entrepreneurial spirit. I can't give something to somebody and ask them to really own that unless they're willing to stand up and say, I got this, or, you know, I'm really going to take this on and make this my own. You know, that's something that I really foster. And I think it can be actually a huge motivator. But in order to make that relationship work, you know, I can't just empower somebody and give something to someone unless they're really set up for that success. And so it's also my job to ensure that every person on my team, if I'm going to really empower them and hold them accountable, that I'm able to ensure that they have all the support, the resources, the coaching in order to be successful. So I'm constantly asking people if they have what they need. It's also important for me too, because knowing what's not working quickly is incredibly important so that we can get to fixing that problem and getting on the right path as soon as possible. And so I think those strong relationships are really built on trust and that joint understanding. So if I empower my teams, then I'm going to hold them accountable. I'm also going to support them and block them as much as possible um, if they all agree to be open and provide me with the feedback as quickly as possible, right? Especially when things start to go wrong. Um, so if I'm gonna be direct um, about the things that I need, um, I have to also be ready to, op to, to listen and um, to understand where they're coming from. So it's those balance of all those different factors that I think lead to that relationship. I imagine your team uh, definitely appreciates that good balance of direct, being actionable, but also empathetic which sometimes can also kind of create this dynamic of like, where do I draw the line between, you know, kind of friendships uh, and keep, you know, personal and professional, I suppose. Is there kind of like a, a guiding factor there or how do you kind of balance that, you know, those, uh, those two elements? Oh man, that is, uh, that's definitely an interesting one. Um, you know, I actually had a rep 
ones who, who actually became very upset when hearing some uh, direct feedback from me. And their response was, but Jane, I thought you were my friend, um, which was a real heartbreaker, honestly. It was uh, definitely tough. And with as much compassion as I could, I actually had to explain to this person that I was their VP and not actually their friend. Don't get me wrong, that it absolutely did not mean that I didn't care for them, believe in their success, and would do everything in my power to help them improve. Um, but I think being really clear about the lines of the relationship um, in, an, in personal and professional context work is, is really important. And it's actually a good thing. You know, I'm a big believer in building that human to human relationship. I think that's so important with your team, you know, to build that with your team and your colleagues. You know, our jobs are really hard and stressful. Um, and you want to know that you're in it with them um, and that they're in it with me. But being friends with your team can blur some of the lines that make it really difficult. Honestly, sometimes the best thing you can do to support your team is to make the hard decision, uh, even if it's unpopular. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk to you about perceptions of sales and perceptions of sales folks. Um, so, you know, at Gong, we recently went through a sales training and in one of the exercises, um, all of us were asked what are common stereotypes for sales. And there was a pretty wide range in the types of responses that people provided, whether it was being pushy or aggressive or greedy. Um, and I think everybody in their head, like if you think of that stereotypical salesperson that you may have seen on TV or movies, there's an image that comes to your head. I'd love to hear from you, like what are the stereotypes that you've come across and why would you say they are accurate or inaccurate? So I'm really glad that you asked this question and it's, it's very near and dear to my heart. You know, as a woman and a person of color, I haven't come across a lot of salespeople who look like me. And even actually, when I think about when I first started my career, when I first started in finance, which by the way, also has its own share of lack of diversity issues. Um, but I worked in what we called the bullpen, which was basically they locked all the analysts in a windowless room altogether. And it just was uh, full of frat guys, you know, white, um, talking nonstop about their fantasy football leagues. And it was tough for me because I didn't really feel like I belonged there at all, which was actually very lonely. You know, I wasn't sure that they would have my back the way that they did for each other. Um, you know, there were a lot of happy hours and events that, you know, I wasn't unfortunately invited to. And so it was, that definitely was a little bit tough. And, you know, I think sales can be uh, similarly so. I think there are a lot of stereotypes. I think to your point around web, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes about sleazy sales reps who try to sell you something. Um, I actually had a great solutions engineer who um, was actually on the technical side. And, you know, so we made him interview. And, you know, he just had this perception of what a salesperson was and, you know, he just treated it like a used car salesman trying to sell, sell something. And I actually had to pull him back and say, you know, you know, that our job isn't actually to oversell Circle CI. That's, that's not what we do. Um, and, you know, our job is to actually give our customers with the right information so that they can make their, the, the best decisions that need to, they, they need to. A lot of it is based on sort of the diversity of those teams. Most of the teams that I've been on um, are still, you know, the vast majority are white and they're male. Um, I think it's absolutely changing, which is awesome and something that, you know, I work a lot to try to promote within my organization, um, but also um, in talking with other sales leaders as well. Here's an example. I know some sales leaders who, you know, look for people who have sports backgrounds 
um, who um, have sort of collegiate experience the way that they did, um, or who they sort of quote, would want to get a beer with. But what if that person has a family or didn't drink or didn't play sports or had any host of reasons why they didn't want to go to the happy hour to pound those beers? Um, and that can create a lot of exclusion to people um, who don't look that way or share those values, which is a real shame because I fundamentally see our job as being advocates for our customers. And, you know, I talk to a lot of women who are in sales and I tell them, you know, I find it astounding that there aren't more women because actually the research shows that women are, they're better advocates. Uh, men are apparently better at advocating for themselves, but women are better for advocating for others. That women are um, better negotiators, better at finding joint value, which are all things that you would need to do to support our customers. And so I think that really trying to understand not just that picture of what a salesperson is, but what we actually do, the type of work that we do, the relationships that we build, that's what a real salesperson does rather than these stereotypes. Uh, that's super interesting. And I'm curious, so like when, you, when you're developing a sales culture, a lot of it is, you know, it can be built top down, but ultimately it is what the folks on the team are continuing to build and advocate for um, as the team is growing. So what kind of values do you instill in your current team so that feeling of inclusivity is there as new reps join the team? Yeah, I think that's actually really good. Um, and that is actually true. Um, a lot of times these things are they're started tops down, but they really live on sort of bottoms up. So if the teams, if my teams um, or teams out there don't live and breathe this every day, then it's not something that's being carried forward. So the first is, um, and I love that you, you started with the word values, because I think that's what it is. Like you have to focus on your core values and not just the culture, because the culture can usually be, a lot of times can be just the representation of you know, how those values are being acted. And so then it starts to codify the actions and not sort of the, the, the values that you should hold. So as long as we, you know, we share the same values, you can actually express them in very different ways. And that's okay because it allows for, you know, people to bring their own individuality and their own expression to them. Um, as long as we know that we have, we share the same values, we're trying to go to the same place. Making sure that we really understand sort of unconscious bias we spend a lot of time in our interview process, designing it, really thinking about it, and trying to make it consistent so that we have a better framework of evaluating candidates rather than just that gut feel. So, you know, empathy is something I talk a lot about. I talk about empathy and I talk about resilience. With empathy, it's so important, and this is so important with our customers as well, is to get out of our own experiences and try to understand how where somebody else is coming from. What what perspective, what experiences they've had in their lives that have shaped them. You know, my parents are immigrants. I have a pretty different background from a lot of people I've worked with in the past. And that's good. It provides a great opportunity for us to learn from each other because we do bring those different experiences. Resilience is another one I really talk about because in that spirit of being open, I want to make sure that it's okay to make mistakes. I'm okay to make that wrong call, to head down that wrong path. If you're willing to be resilient, to, to be open and honest with yourself and with others that that's happening, and be willing to pick yourself up and uh, figure out the right path forward, right? The quicker we understand that there's a mistake that's happening or we're down the wrong path, but this, the faster we can fix it. Creating a culture of gratitude and respect. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about this 
as well, how we recognize others and really, you know, focus on gratitude. You know, we are not alone in closing these deals and making these customers successful. And so understanding how it was the orchestration of the entire company of the help that we get from other departments and other people to make that happen. And that goes in with celebrating wins. Like, I think that's so important. Things like smashing a gong or ringing a bell can be a turnoff for some folks. You know, I've had um, plenty of teams who like different ways of celebrating, but we share that value of celebrating wins, even though we express it differently. And especially in this day and age where we have remote teams and uh, people are kind of scattered about how can we still come together to celebrate those wins that allows everyone to participate, you know, and not just the people that, you know, those, those norms kind of appeal to. Or finding ways to connect with each person um, through those motivations, I think is so important. I, I think some of what you talked about are things that you can interview for and you can screen people whether they have some of those values. And then I think other aspects are things that you've been able to implement in your team on an ongoing basis and can, continuing to build and develop and, and hone that culture. So I think there's kind of like those two aspects of like, who are we bringing in the door? And then how are we ensuring that everybody here feels like they're wanted and needed and celebrated and respected? Absolutely. We talked about it a little bit earlier, Jane, but a lot of folks are still figuring out how to um, adjust to this quote unquote new normal. We'd love to hear from you a little bit, you know, what were some of the first kind of changes uh, you guys made um, and then kind of going into a little bit more, how are you guys maintaining that, you know, rep to manager connection, uh, maybe be coaching or maybe just more on the personal level. It's evolving literally daily. Um, so first and foremost, the first things that we did was institute a, um, work from home policy, um, which was actually a huge change for us. So, um, we have, uh, five, uh, six offices globally. And most of my teams are largely office-based. So just because of the amount of cross-collaboration and communication that's required across all the teams, first and foremost is making sure all of our employees feel safe, um, that they have a way of prioritizing their health, their personal situations with everything that's going on. So that's absolutely first and foremost. And then the second for me was, you know, how do you stay connected as a team. I mean, I'm investing a lot to with my managers. My first line managers now are probably the most important people within my organization because, you know, they are in the trenches, obviously, every single day, every moment with their teams. But I want to make sure that they feel enabled to manage their teams, manage their people, stay connected with them, um, and that they feel supported in doing that. So we're trading a lot of tips and tricks around how to create the right cadence with your team, um, especially for some of our more junior teams, um, providing a way of giving them still some structure of you know, expectations, clear expectations, uh, clear, clear glide guidelines, and even for some folks, um, a little bit more structure to how they should structure their day. Um, you know, dealing with household, with pets, with roommates, with families, with kids, it's, it's a lot to um, take on. And so the more guidance we can give them, um, it can actually be um, more structured. But we also want to create more time for fun. So uh, doing more things like, you know, this kind of social events over Zoom. You know, a lot of our teams are doing things like coffee, like in the morning that they just get together to have coffee in the morning, um, or even they just create working blocks together where, you know, everyone's on mute, but in the same kind of virtual room together while doing their work can help you feel more connected. 
And then third, obviously, is, I mean, it's also very important, but, you know, just making sure we can keep to the work as much as we can. So, you know, things are shifting on us all the time. Um, so what's happening with our deals, what's happening with our customers, um, and making sure that with everything that's happening, all this disruption, that we can still be a consistent force for those customers um, and, uh, you know, continue to achieve what we, what we have to achieve during this period. For this week's data breakout, I wanted to fact check my gut when it came to what I felt was true when it came to the shift towards working remotely during shelter in place. First, I looked at how many people in the US were working remotely before COVID. Go ahead and take a guess. Mine was about 10%. I figured about 10% of the US workforce was fully remote before COVID. Complete guess, by the way, since I personally only know a few folks who work from home, kind of just threw a number out there. In reality, about 3.4% of people reported working remotely full-time in 2019. Remember that number, 3.4%. Next, I wanted to look at now, with shelter in place in effect for weeks or almost months, depending on where you're at. It feels like everyone is working remotely right now, but I know that's mostly the B2B space that I live in, so I figured at least 50%, right? The truth is only 25% of people have jobs that allow them to work remotely right now. And 95% of that 25% is in the information sector. So that's virtually everyone in the B2B space, pun intended. So that means in the United States, the shift has been roughly three to 25% of the workforce has gone fully remote in the past few weeks. Now this reality check makes me very grateful for my ability to work from my apartment. And if you're listening to this, probably applies to you too. And it makes me extra appreciative for the frontline folks like medical staff, service industries, supply chain, and others who don't have this ability. Don't get me wrong, working remotely is a challenge for us right now, but it's also something we definitely shouldn't take for granted. Was there anything that you found uh, kind of surprising, like, hey, maybe this is actually a little easier than I thought, or some things you thought would be easy that were actually a little bit more challenging? I'm a very, like, I'm a very sociable person. And so I'm a very much of a, let me just pull you for five minutes to get your take on something type of person. And so that's been an adjustment. You know, one thing that I'm worried about is just making sure, so our reps and our managers, making sure they're well connected. One area I'm focusing on is how can I ensure that they feel connected to their other stakeholders, you know, their partners in marketing, their partners in, in product, um, so that we can stay coordinated together as a company. Um, so in all honesty, right, this is all changing like moment to moment. Um, that's definitely the focus I have to ensure that that can, that those bonds continue to exist and not just have to go straight up and down between the rep and their manager. Um, but our mode, at least right now is, um, more connection is better than less connection. So we have a different combination of now, um, some of the, some of the meetings have been, have gotten broader just so we can have all the right stakeholders in the room which can, there's a balancing point there because if you have too many cooks in the kitchen, it's hard to um, get to a clear decision. Um, so trying to balance that factor, um, you know, with our teams, it's now, we have, we have, we've had regular weekly standups and now they're going to, you know, multiple times a week. Um, I now have a standup that is daily um, as well, just to make sure, even if they're short, um, rather than having one hour meeting, if you can break it up amongst, you know, 20 minutes, three times a week. Um, it's the same amount of time, but can create a little bit more consistency in the touch points. Moving to the tail end of, the, of our conversation, what advice would you give to 
other sales leaders on how to best manage these uncertain times? That is a great question. It's not because it's not just, you know, the, the change in the day to day, um, you know, working remotely, staying connected in a more virtual world. Um, but we're, we're facing a lot of uncertainty and just quickly changing circumstances um, in our economy as well. And so, you know, how do we think about planning and um, closing business and forecasts um, in the face of a potential or likely recession? That one's really tough. We're going through some really scary and uncertain times. And for a lot of those teams, like mine included, a lot of the assumptions we made in planning and, and even the initiatives, the focus areas, the OKRs that we have for the year um, no longer apply. But I think a lot of the mistakes happen when, right, in times of uncertainty, sort of um, a gut reaction is to freeze, to stay in place or to, you know, ho- try to hold as much as you can to business as usual, right? Because it's scary times and, and change is really, really hard. But it's in these moments, even though making those clear decisions is harder, it's important to continue to reevaluate everything, right? Being, again, very open with yourself about, you know, the things that you don't know, right? You don't know what you don't know. And so how can you reevaluate that? Um, and even the midst of shifting things, try to stay nimble and be ready in terms of any other scenarios that might happen. I mean, for us, for instance, right now, we are actively trying to figure out how our demand curve is changing. The other thing we're doing, like I said, is questioning a reassumption and thinking through all the different options from the worst case scenarios to the best case scenarios so that we're just ready to pivot and to stay nimble. Again, right, going back to that resiliency piece, that's super important. So, you know, every day we're reevaluating our forecasts, our hiring plans, where we should invest, where we should pull back potentially and um, stay on top of these changing times. You know, be kind to yourself, um, be thoughtful. And, um, you know, this is definitely the time to, to come together as a team. There's a, uh, a kind of fun question we like to end every episode with. Uh, and that is, how would you describe sales in one word? Oh. Creativity. Ah, interesting. Now that I've asked you to do it in one word, mind elaborating. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not a very creative person, actually. You know, I I I don't do any art or play music instruments, but you know, I'm a very I'm a very you know I love questions. Um, I love answers. I love puzzles. One thing that surprises me actually about my career in sales is that I'm still doing it. You know, if you'd asked me ten years ago that this is what I would still be doing. I would never have believed you. But now, you know, where I am now, I can never imagine doing anything else because sales is a great opportunity to solve those problems. Like every customer I meet, you know, every deal I have, every even person that I manage brings forth a different set of circumstances, a different set of problems, a different set of needs, um, a different set of motivations. And we really have to be creative in thinking about how we really help our customers, um, help ourselves and help our team. And so, you know, I love that every day is different. Um, going back to what I was saying about one of my motivations for my career, it's about learning and um, sales absolutely provides that. Um, we can definitely be creative in so many ways in this role. Well, that was a, a really wonderful conversation, Jane. We really uh, thank you for your time and for joining us on Reveal. Wish you health and uh, we'll see you in person soon, hopefully in the near term. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for inviting me on this. 
This week's micro action is a free gift for you and your team. The Gong team realized that in the chaos of change and getting adjusted to working remotely, it's easy to forget to celebrate our wins. Because even with everything going on, there are still great things we're celebrating, and you deserve a shout out when they happen. That's why we created the virtual Gong, so you and your team can celebrate every win, big and small. Book a meeting, close a deal, hit quota, hit the Gong to celebrate. It's a fun way to keep a positive outlook and forward momentum with your team. So head over to virtualgong.com to check it out. It's completely free. Again, that's virtualgong.com, V-I-R-T-U-A-L-G-O-N-G.com. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.